Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Pony Stampede podcast. I'm Billy Embody, publisher of PonyStampede.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network, bringing you this podcast once or twice a week to uh, update you guys on the latest on SMU football, basketball, athletics, all the things around SMU going on. And uh, we begin this week's podcast really with answering subscriber questions. I've been away on vacation and last episode, we talked a lot about the commitments SMU got in the football recruiting class, as well as basketball getting transferred Kendrick Davis, the TCU guard who transferred to SMU after his freshman year. So if you haven't checked out that podcast, go back and check it out. There's plenty to to listen to on that for sure. Uh, But on this one, I wanted to hear from you, our Pony Stampede subscribers, and uh, answer your questions. Wanted to touch on a couple things on the site as well that we dropped, uh, including some official visitors at SMU this week um, that are currently on their official visits as you're listening to this. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. But overall, wanted to uh, take your questions and give you some thoughts and answers and things like that uh, on this edition of the podcast. So, uh, thanks for listening to the Pony Stampede podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and leaving, leave us a rating and a review. We'd appreciate that. And if you don't subscribe to PonyStampede.com, definitely uh, feel free to take a chance on our seven-day trial. I think you guys will really enjoy it, especially as we're rolling through the official visit season. You can see who's on campus because uh, that's behind our paywall right now. And then, of course, as they wrap up their official visits, get their recaps, and then get all the latest on on what we're hearing in terms of who might be be committing, and then, of course, who ultimately commits off of this group, because I do think there's a good chance we see a couple more commitments for SMU before the dead period rolls in uh, later this weekend. So, beginning with basketball, uh, a couple of housekeeping things. SMU learned its AAC opponents on Wednesday as the league announced uh, who's coming to Moody, where SMU's going uh, on the road, and who's only coming to Moody once. Um, 
And he, and here they are. SMU is going to host East Carolina, Houston, Memphis, Temple, Tulane, UCF, and USF, and then pay all of those schools a visit back to their uh, building uh, later or earlier in the season, however it works out on the schedule. And then SMU will only host Connecticut and Wichita State and Moody Coliseum and only make trips to Cincinnati and Tulsa. So, look, I, I think, one, it's cool that SMU fans are going to get to see Memphis. I mean, as bad as that game will probably be for SMU, uh, with all the talent Penny Hardaway has brought in, I think it's cool when you get a, a headline team and a team with, with I mean, potential draft picks and uh, obviously a ton of hype that will come into Moody. I think that's a boost to the home schedule for for obvious reasons. Um, and then, of course, Houston, naturally, uh, they get to play SMU twice. Uh, Temple uh, will be under a new head coach this year, and, and so they'll be uh, an interesting team to watch. So that'll be uh, their first trip uh, without Fran Dumphy. Uh, Tulane is, has a new head coach as well. Uh, so a lot of uh, turnover in this league a little bit, um, and especially really with the rosters. I think that's one thing that uh, people are going to be surprised about. People are going to be surprised by how much better U- USF is, for example. And then UCF will look totally different without Taco Fall there for the first time in Moody Coliseum, and it seems like a decade. Uh, Connecticut, Wichita State, good home opponents, name brand awareness, Um at the very least, we'll see what Wichita State puts together after having a nice late season run. But look, I mean, I, I said this on the board. I, I think Wichita State is one of those programs right now that is kind of at a weird crossroads because Greg Marshall's done such a good job for so many years. But something is certainly off uh, at Wichita State. Uh, you're seeing a lot of assistance leave, a lot of staff turnover as of late, um, and they haven't had the same talent that they, they certainly have had uh, when they, you know, were on their final four runs and things like that. Um, Cincinnati, Tulsa, uh, Cincinnati, tough place to play. Tulsa is going to be a lot better as well. Uh, they've got a former tough player from LSU that I know, Brandon Rashal, going up there um, as a transfer. And then Cincinnati is going to be total mixed bag. I've heard a lot of just talking with a lot of coaches around the country that think that they're not even a tournament team. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Bearcats look. Without Mick Cronin strolling the sidelines for the first time in, uh, I mean, forever, really. So look, uh, going to uh, merge into, uh, now that we have the scheduling kind of behind us, uh, SMU has 15 scholarship players now. We discussed that last podcast with Kendrick Davis uh, transferring in from TCU now. That made 15. And Phil Mayer broke down really what, kind of impact the roster could could have um, or, or what waivers can it have an impact on the roster. Sorry, that one was just hard to explain for a second there. Uh, but Phil uh, broke it all down for you guys in terms of his thoughts on kind of how the roster could look with, with McNeil and uh, getting a waiver, with Kendrick Davis getting a waiver, and uh, Isaiah Jassy getting a waiver to play before December. And I think that's a really good read for some of you guys looking to kind of get kind of where we're at on this roster and and what it can look like. But in terms of the deadline for basketball roster to be cut down to 13, I did a little bit of research on it. And from what I understand, it is, quote, uh, the the scholarship must be 
renewed or uh, not renewed by the beginning of the period of the scholarship. So the way I'd understand that would be is if a player arrived in September, right at the beginning of school, that would be the beginning of his of the scholarship period. So that would mean SMU would have until September to make that decision. Most basketball players arrive in July. Um, I mean, we didn't see that last year with Matt Dixon. He had an internship and um, uh, he got to school late. Um, whereas some of these guys are already back in June working out with the team. I, I think, though... So the guys that are back in June, basketball players usually arrive in July just because it's not like football where they have to be ready to go right at the start of the season. And some do choose to continue to just be around campus and and, um, and go to summer school and things like that. One thing I'll say about that is uh, there's a new rule where you don't have to be enrolled in classes to work out with the team anymore over the summer. So, uh, But a lot of the guys are already back. But in terms of the true period of the scholarships, I, I would say July. So in time for July, summer session. Now, I think within the next week, you, you need to see movement on the roster, I, I think just in terms of fairness, so to speak, because it, it is one of those things where you want these guys to have opportunities to find new places. And look, for people saying that's late, yes, it is, and it's it's probably not fair or the right way to do it, but it happens across the country uh, where guys get into summer school and they see either the newcomers that are back on that team or they see uh, just you know a, a situation where they're not going to play much and then they choose a transfer. July will bring, and, it, and I know this will kind of uh, surprise people, but July will bring a whole nother round of transfers and grad transfers, honestly. Um, and so SMU could eventually still go back into that market and um, look for more. And so really, I think by July, whether it's Bryce Cook and his situation being worked out or whether it's, you know, one of the current players opting to no longer uh, be at SMU or being said, you know, told, hey, you should probably find a different place. Uh, that'll come and, and there will be opportunities for those guys somewhere to play. So that's kind of the timeline I think we're under. But I do think that needs to happen sooner rather than later. Um, as far as uh, basketball players and the waivers, going back to those, uh, being asked a question by James Pony Island on our board, how much leeway do I see Tim Jankovic getting in that regard as far as w- players that don't get the waivers or do you see it as a win or you're done situation? Look, this is a team that for Tim Jankovic has to make either a solid NIT run or or make the NCAA tournament. And as far as waivers, that is an interesting uh, question because, look, for example... Darius McNeil, that should be a no-brainer waiver from the NCAA for him to play right away. His mother is sick. She's she's on disability, even. That's what he told us. And so he moved back here to Texas, where she is, and so he should be getting a waiver. 
that's like the, the spirit of the rule. And SMU is really good at making sure the right paperwork is fired, filed. I know there has been some players in the past that uh, didn't file the right paperwork, and that's why they got their waiver got de- denied. They they asked for the wrong waiver. So the and of course nothing's easy with the NCAA. They have multiple different types of waivers uh, and forms you have to fill out. So SMU is really good at making sure they fill out the right ones, and uh, I. I I would feel really good about Darius McNeil. And then even Kendrick Davis, a lot of people are starting to say, well, this one, you know, watch watch that one. And to answer uh, another subscriber question right now with Abe asking, uh, what's the deal with TCU and their transfers and Jamie Dixon and all that, that is a situation where it's clear that, and I, and I said this back um, right around the time UCLA was messing around with Jamie Dixon and some of the other transfers that were out there from TCU that SMU was looking at, uh, it was a rough situation because Jamie Dixon had told the team he was staying and then was, boom, right in there as the candidate and being, you know, wanting the job. And and uh, if I remember correctly, there might have been a report that he had taken it. Um, and look, if he would have gotten it, he would have taken it. So that was just like an absolute bombshell for that team, and it really just messed them all up. And on top of that, he's just not an easy coach to play for by any means, and not in the way that like Larry Brown isn't easy to play for, but in the way of like players just don't really like him that much, uh, from what I understand. And so that's why you've seen a ton of transfers out. Uh, so the, the thought with Kendrick would be uh, – I think like bad situation, you know, stressful coach, you know, kind of deal where, you know, didn't make it right or whatever. And so that's how they could pitch it. Um, But in terms of the true question you asked, which is how much leeway will Tim Jankovic get in terms of the team and, and having to win now if he doesn't get certain waivers, I don't think it's that much. I, I really don't look I you 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 have some of your your key pieces back. I mean, you've got Ethan Ethan Shagwa and and you've got um, Isaiah Mike and you've got Ferran Hunt and and um, Tyson Jolly. You recruited Charles Smith was a highly regarded prospect. Um, Emmanuel Bandamel is somebody that you've probably pitched as somebody who can come in and compete right away. Um, and then you know you've been saying that Everett Ray is going to be a really good player when healthy. So. It's one of those deals where I, I think in terms of what what you've said you have coming back, that it's good enough to, to win. Or, yeah, I would say it's good enough to win. Uh, and then no matter what, you get Isaiah Jassy back in time for the conference. So I would say that there's not too much leeway. I mean, they, ha- they have to make a serious NIT run and or um, – They've got to make the NCAA tournament, or I, I don't think he'll be the coach at SMU in the future. Uh, in terms of basketball team getting another grad transfer, I don't see that right now. Um, Jalen Fisher would be the only one I think, as of now, that I'm kind of I've really got my eye on. Uh, he was obviously very vocal surrounding um, uh, Kendrick Davis's transfer to SMU, so watch for him. He's had classes that he's been trying to finish up so like I said another round of grad transfers that could be finishing up that's one of them um he's not uh well he's in the portal but um 
anyway, he, he's trying to graduate, obviously, so he doesn't have to redshirt, which he, he should graduate from what I understand. So that's the only one I could see happening. And then from there, they'd have 16 scholarship players. I, I think to kind of put a button on it all, Bryce Cook, just so many question marks around his health. Uh, that'll be one to watch. And then if if you get Jalen Fisher, it's kind of one of those things where you can just – the two obvious ones are either – I think there's th- kind of three three obvious ones, Jamar Young, C.J. White, Will Douglas, kind of what what's the future for those guys. Um, and we'll see. So uh, that will kind of do it in terms of uh, the basketball side of things. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about football, kind of break things down, and I'll let you guys in on a, a couple of official visitors on campus. So we'll be right back with the Pony Stampede podcast after this. Welcome back to the Pony Stampede podcast. Thanks for listening to the Pony Stampede podcast. Now we're on to the football side of things. And um, look, SMU hosting five official visitors on campus right now, uh, and, a, and a group that out of all of them, four of them have uh, 24-7 sports crystal ball picks in to land at SMU at this point. Uh, and so I think really with this week, we're really on uh, commitment watch for sure as, uh, as the, the coaching staff gears up uh, for you know another push before this dead period for these prospects. So I wanted to kind of let you guys in on two. Uh, because I think they're noteworthy based on the, the recent developments with defensive end recruiting. Uh, and, and look, SMU fading you know heavily for, for Stafford defensive end Robert Wooten, who's uh, I just put my crystal ball pick in for Arizona. Uh, his mom lives out there. There was a lot of thought that she was going to, uh, uh, and she said it, that she was going to move to Dallas uh, if he ended up at SMU. And the compromise on Wooten's end um, is him probably going to Arizona. So uh, it looks like he's heading out there. Uh, Kari Coleman, the Carver defensive end, uh, literally uh, two hours after uh, the podcast on Monday, which I had said, hey, we were just texting about him taking more visits. He commits to uh, Kansas. Uh, So New Orleans recruiter Tony Hull gets another one out of there. and now SMU has two two more defensive ends on campus in uh, Moraga, California, Campolindo, outside linebacker defensive end Mason Mastrov, and Beaumont Westbrook defensive end Jay Bell. These are two guys that, look, the staff has had teed up at these positions for a while. And, you know, Mastrov earned his offer at SMU camp. He ran a 4-5, 4 uh, He's got a lot of just FBS offers um, and everywhere from – Colgate, Eastern Washington to, to Wyoming. Um, he's just got a lot of kind of group of five offers, uh, but he, he has some size. He has the measurables. He has the athleticism. He has the production, um, and SMU really likes him. So uh, he's one on campus right now. He said he wants to make a decision before his senior season, and this is his last visit uh, before the dead period. So the kind of pretty – I would say kind of obvious of where this is, is going at this point. So Mason Mastrov on campus, and then Jay Bell, 6'3", 210, uh, productive, played on one of the best teams in the state of Texas. And I think he's somebody that, again, they really, really like. 
Uh, he had some great concerns earlier in the spring, and, and they just kind of like where he's at and are going to take him if he wants on board. He's another one that wants, at least has said, he would like to check out a school like Southern Miss. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think he's somebody that could very well jump on board with SMU uh, after his official visit and um, you know become another commitment in this class for the program. He's not incredibly highly rated at this point and you know doesn't really have an incredible amount of offers. He's going to play on a team that's going to get a lot of attention this year. I'm interested to see how the offers go in the fall with him because, like I said, he plays on a talented team. Um, he's actually teammates with Beaumont Westbrook, wide receiver, Thad Johnson, who's a big target for the staff. Uh, so he could help there theoretically. And, um, you know, look, he's, he's, he's talented. They really like him. He's been somebody that they've had circled. They said, okay, if we miss out on Wooten, if we miss out on Coleman, this is one of the guys that we a hundred percent want. So he's right there, been stacked on their board since January. They hosted him for an unofficial visit. And now he's back on campus for his official visit with an offer in hand. Wouldn't shock me at all if he jumped on board. From there, there's three more official visitors on campus. Head to PonyStampede.com to see who they are. Um, a lot of talent among those three and a lot of intrigue as well. So feel free to check that out on the site uh, for sure. Now, uh, on the football side of things in terms of uh, the, the, the football field you know, and winning, uh, Bytor asks, what is the minimum number of wins Sonny needs this year for success with the upcoming recruiting class? And I think, one, this has changed so much uh, over the course of, um, you know, the new early signing period and kind of how official visits are allowed over the summer and in the spring. Because I think you'll see in July a lot of guys start to make the call, right? So... SMU has five official visitors on campus. I think all five of them will make a college decision before their senior seasons. I'd be rather surprised if they if they didn't. Um, I think one of them maybe would take it into the into the fall. But you're seeing guys make that decision uh, early, so you get them on board. So if they have like you know, let's say you know, twelve commitments going into the football season. That's a strong start. So from there, it's kind of like, okay, how does the football team look? What's the progress? And, and I think, and, and I've said this, I think competing for an AAC championship is, is not out of the question at all. And, and you can argue SMU is a quarterback away from doing that last year and certainly a quarterback away from at least making a bowl game. Um, so as the culture continues to be installed, I think SMU is, is going to be a bowl team. And if they're not, it's a it's a big red flag going forward. Um, I know they have two tough games to start. and Well, three, I mean, if you count TCU as well. But, I mean, they've got to they've got to come out of the early stretch 2-1, get some momentum, not let the excuse of, of Shane Bouchelle being new or, um, you know, this or that on, on whatever it is not affect them enough to to lose at Arkansas State or lose to North Texas. And and once they can if they can get those wins under their belt, they can get rolling and then head to a bowl. Like I said, I think competing for or winning the the AAC West, so being right in there like they were last year. I mean, like I said, they're a quarterback away. 
against Memphis from really being able to 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 make it to the AAC championship game. So um, I I think in terms of success for the recruiting class, I I would I'm sure recruits would love to see eight wins. I I think SMU has its its sights set higher, um, and they'll you know just from talking with people, they there's a ton of confidence in what is being put together at SMU there are still certainly question marks. There's question marks in the secondary. There's there's depth concerns, I would say, at linebacker. Um, health of running backs, you know, the line, how does all that fit together on the offensive side of the ball? And then does Shane Bouchelle have any adjustment time? Uh, but in terms of what they have in place, there's a lot of confidence that they can figure it out. And, and even if it, does come with a sacrifice of a loss to Arkansas State or North Texas, I think you see exactly kind of what we saw last year where the team improves and then with the amount of veteran leadership on the team finishes strong rather than loses to a Memphis late and then, you know, let it beat you the next game against Tulsa. So um, I, I think in terms of success for the recruiting class, uh, getting back to a bowl, Eight nine wins would be huge, moving forward. And then if they can get a win in the bowl game and and, and get to ten, I mean, you know, you kind of that's a little bit of a stretch, but that's a natural progression. Things are trending up, and one thing I think a lot of players will like to hear, and that's why I think there's a good chance that you could see maybe you know in terms of a stretch player, Thad Johnson jump on board. Uh, that. Is, is to play with Shane Bouchelle for a year. And then look at, you know, Terrence Gibson's a well-known quarterback. People love Will Brown um, as well. So, you know, in 2020, that season, you could have Shane Bouchelle back for, you know, a year that that could include a, a potential run at, you know, AAC Player of the Year type type deal. So um, eight, nine wins, I think, is, is very natural for in terms of expectations and then continuing to have recruiting success. Uh, on special teams, this is a good question. Uh, what's the outlook? Who's running it? And what is the philosophy? And I think this is an area where Sonny Dykes really was disappointed, I think, in, in 2018 because they're, they just didn't have enough depth at times to kind of you know put together really good special teams. I thought they improved in some areas. Uh, but look, uh, they, they bring in, I think, six walk-on kickers, all pretty much highly thought of. Uh, at least on the staff's angle, and then even just from reading Chris Saylor's scouting reports, uh, they're really high on him. So there will be a ton of competition. I think the kicker position is going to be improved. Uh, in terms of who's running it, Josh Martin, uh, tight ends coach, is taking on that responsibility as the true on-field coordinator. And then Scott Nady has been a big part of that uh, as well uh, under Sonny Dykes. Uh, and then Sonny Dykes is, is, is somebody that stresses special teams and, and, and you know, wants it to be a quality uh, unit. I think SMU's depth has, has really been hurt uh, in special teams the most. That's why you've seen SMU recruit walk-ons that have offers that, that want to play at SMU, and they had success in this recruiting class. So I think the depth on this team is going to be totally different. It might not show up this year as much, but I do think the, the, unit, the units will be improved down the line when some of those walk-ons that had offers in the past or this or that become juniors and seniors or, or even redshirt sophomores, you know, you'll really see the tide turn there. But as far as uh, 
whether starters will be playing. You'll see some starters play. Um, they, they're going to have to have best guys on the field at times and, and to, to make sure that in critical areas things don't come back to bite them. Um, but it's definitely not a developmental thing. If you can't play, you're not going to be out there. Um, so that's kind of the deal, I guess, uh, for you guys. Um, but for the most part, I mean, I think it, you're going to see some improvement. I know Josh has spent a lot of um, the the offseason going out to uh, different NFL teams and working with special teams coaches to get different philosophies to bring in for the team this fall. So um, that'll be one area to watch, and it could be a difference between, you know, eight, you know, whether it's just getting to a bowl game or winning eight, nine games. As, as we've seen, I mean, it's a, it's a brutal um, – Sometimes it's a brutal backbreaker for SMU. Finally, I'm going to end the podcast with answering this question from Flock of Seagulls uh, of the programs in Texas, Power 5 and G5. Which would you consider to have the most upward-trending recruiting momentum and outlook? What about the most downward-trending? Curious more about your subjective opinion than recruit rankings and not just between now and the 2020 class longer term. This is a really, A, a really good question. I, I think when I look at um, the recruiting landscape in Texas and I look at what um, what Jimbo Fisher's doing, I think he's been doing a, a very, very good job there. Uh, he's the one that I think is going to have the most upward-trending recruiting momentum. Texas is right behind him. I think Texas kind of gets caught in a spot sometimes where they don't want to offer a kid because they're Texas and they know he might commit, which is which is valid. I mean, you, you, there's a lot of schools that do that. I think Texas can paint itself into a corner sometimes doing that, um, and it, it really hurts them with some prospects. On the flip side of that, they also take some prospects where you're like, okay, why are you taking him? He's actually kind of trending downward. He probably shouldn't be a take for you guys right now, but you got to take him. And AM doesn't have that problem. I mean, everybody thought Malik Hornsby, including myself, was going to commit to Texas AM. And he did, and he and he wanted to, and he was going to go public with it. But they said no. And and he ends up in North Carolina as their quarterback commitment. And a lot of people can sit there and say, eh, that kind of makes sense. Now, like that, Texas, if they didn't have Hudson Carr and 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 all of that committed, uh you know, maybe they they maybe they would have taken him, uh, but in terms of, um, you know, out of the Power Five, I think it would be Texas A&M, TCU, or Texas A&M, Texas, TCU, Texas Tech, um, and then I think Houston's going to have a lot of momentum. Uh, I think in terms of a momentum, they have it uh, for this class. I. And I was talking with actually somebody who spent a lot of time around Dana earlier this month. Will it be sustainable? And and I'm not and I'm not saying Dana Holgerson isn't going to have success at Houston. I think they're going to be able to piece together some pretty good classes on paper. Will it translate onto the field? Because they, for example, they just took a commitment from a pretty highly touted wide receiver out of the Baton Rouge area and Reginald Johnson. And they have three commitments, and they're already into the top 100 uh, or in the, into the top 90. And, and and they took a receiver, you know, like Dalen Robinson, who's a pretty, pretty good player. But in terms of Reginald, Reginald's 
a top 500 overall prospect in the country on the 24-7 sports composite. He's number 81 wide receiver in the country. I just don't know if he is that good. Um, I think he's got, I think he's kind of stiff. I've seen him play a lot. Um, Gosh, I've probably seen him play uh, seven, eight times in person over the last year, which is, which is a lot when you're, when you're covering recruiting and he, he just, you know, not a great level of competition, just kind of goes through the motions and he should be just dominating at that level. Um, so will they take guys like that because they need to take a Baton Rouge kid, for example, they've got Chris Scott on staff. They've got some guys that recruit, uh, Louisiana fairly well. But are they going to take name guys that have been around the process for a long time that are now kind of falling to them? Like, don't be surprised, for example, if Joel Williams, the Baton Rouge Madison prep kid, ends up there. Well, he's also not a take at LSU, Alabama. He committed to Florida. Probably, like, he's not a Florida player. Um, And he's kind of just, to be honest, a mess. So will they take those name guys in the sake of splash rather than true evaluations? Like, SMU, it like there there are guys that like for example Blake Smith, the tight end that committed to Texas A&M out of South Lake Carroll, and this is one where they're trusting their eval, but he's a backup quarterback for South Lake. He works out about fifty fifty between that and tight end in practice. He's lean. He might not have the frame to really put on the weight. He's got some talent, but is he really a Texas A&M player? Like at that level that they need to compete with Alabama. Don't know about that. Um, so SMU, that's just one of the examples where they might not be as high on a kid, and they they do their due diligence in a big way on on evals. And yeah, that's not just to toot their own horn. I I, I just think there's certain areas where you've got to trust your evals too, rather than hey, is this kid worth taking? And and I do think like they love Daniel Sanike. I think looking back now and as they go through it. You know, will they take a Shabazz Dotson? And and he's and he's he had he's had an injury over the last year, but it, will he develop? And sometimes when you have those downward trending recruits, is it worth it? So, for example, when SMU took Gary Wiley, and and a lot of people will say the same thing about if they take Mason Mastroff. Well, they'll take him if he commits, but Mason Mastroff, Jay Bell, are those guys that you know they're not highly rated or don't have offers. Well, they're they're kind of trending up, right? Especially Mason Mastrop. You know, comes out in this offseason, runs a four five four and and has a good day testing and, and competing and all of that. You want guys that are trending up. Does does it will it translate in terms of true recruiting momentum and splash? Um, I think Texas AM is the best out of that right now. I think Texas is right behind them. TCU is assembling a fairly good class as well. Um, but you know, traditionally they don't end up that highly ranked. Uh, Texas Tech is kind of just such an oddball deal with with that staff there now from Utah State. And then I think SMU and Houston are going to kind of battle it out for the long-term recruiting momentum. I do think SMU can overtake it. I think Houston is just a little bit more aggressive right now, so I'll give the edge to them uh, in terms of outlook. So, uh, And then I don't hear too much about Rice and UTSA. So with that, guys, going to wrap up the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, went a little long, but I uh, think we covered a lot of ground. And uh, with that, you guys have a great weekend and stay tuned to PonyStampede.com. A lot of official visitors on campus 
and uh, we're going to keep you guys in the loop as it all plays out. So have a great weekend, guys, and we'll talk to you next time.